0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Corinthians, if you don't know where that is, it's closer to the end of your Bible than the beginning. So if you just take your thumb at the end of your Bible and flip real slow, 1 and 2 Corinthians are there. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're able, I'm going to ask you if you would please stand with me. The Bible does not require us to stand for reading scripture, but it's a reminder that I get to give you and me that we are giving reverence this morning. We're giving honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant, it's the perfect, preserved word of the living God is why I ask us to stand to give reverence to this book 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. So that's what he's getting ready to do. He's going to tell them, declare, pronounce the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Now let me uh, back up a minute, because... Anyway, go back to verse one. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved. Now, if you'll just give me a moment here. He tells them, I'm getting ready to tell you the gospel, declare to you the gospel. He said, I've already preached it to you. And then he said, This you have already received it. So that's where you're standing. That's your security. That's where you're standing. And he said, by which you're saved. So a person gets saved by receiving the gospel. If you can receive the gospel, it would be obvious. If you can receive the gospel, it would be obvious that you also can reject the gospel. He said, I'm getting ready to tell you the gospel. I've already preached it to you. In fact, you've already received it. In fact, that's how you got saved. But I still want to tell you the gospel. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 2. But which also you're saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Just by real quick explanation is that he's not saying, but which also you're saved if you keep in memory. Now, if you don't keep in memory, you're no longer saved. That's not what he said at all. He said, this is how you got saved. And then he goes, If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, well, what did he preach to them? He preached to them the gospel. So if you're not going to keep in memory what I preach, that means you're going to have something that I didn't preach. The book of Galatians calls that another gospel. If it's another gospel, if it's another gospel, it's not the gospel Paul preached. He said, the way you get saved is by receiving the gospel that I preached, (laughs) If you're believing some other gospel, uh, it's counterfeit. It won't do you any good. And that's not how you get saved. You believed in vain if you're accepting some other gospel. And there's a whole lot of that around. Okay. Anyway, verse number three. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So I'm preaching the gospel to you. I delivered it to you. I'd already received it. And now he's getting ready to tell them what the gospel is. Here it is. <clears throat> How that, I say the gospel starts with the word Christ in the book of Corinthians when Paul's describing through God's inspiration. Here's the gospel Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. That he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel in its entirety. We call it the death, burial, and resurrection. So that's just a few words, death, burial, and resurrection. Paul uses 26 words. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the the scriptures. That's the gospel in an entirety. So this morning I just want to remind you, Christ died for our sins. I'm getting ready to ask you a question. I want you to answer our sins. Are you ready? Why did Christ die? For what? Absolutely. According to the scriptures. And that he was buried That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. I want to say thank you. Thank you for Easter Sunday that's been set aside as a special day to commemorate and remember what you did for us. You died, you were buried, and you rose again. You died for our sins. Thank you, Christ. Thank you for our hearts that are here this morning. I pray that our time together would uh, <clears throat> be valuable and that you would speak to our hearts. For those in the room that are not yet born again, they're not yet forgiven of their sin, they've not yet received the gospel, I pray you would touch their heart and bring a re- reality, a realization to them of their need to be forgiven. And then uh, for us that know you, I pray you would speak to us and encourage us. If we need it, admonish us, strengthen us in our relationship with you. And we just really pray that you would get all the glory. So thank you, Christ. Thank you for what you've done already this morning. And thank you for what you're about to do. It's in the mighty and holy name of your only begotten Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, that we pray, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. Want <clears throat> to uh, ask a question, and I want us to entertain this uh, question for a moment. Does Christianity does Christianity have a bottom line? Does Christianity have a bottom line, or another way might you can ask the question, does, does Christianity have a foundation that it's built on? Maybe another way you could ask it. <clears throat> does Christianity have a lynch pen? A lynch pen is something if you remove the lynch pen, it all comes tumbling down? Does Christianity have a, a bottom line, a foundation, a lynch pen? And I say, yes, yes, it does. And it's presented to us here in the gospel. Now, we know that the gospel, that's what he says, I declare to you the gospel. The gospel is good news, amen? Good news. And uh, Brother uh, Clifford Clark said it like this. He said, it's only good news if you hear it in time. Amen. So the gospel is good news. What is the good news? Christ died for what? Absolutely. He paid for our sin. So we don't have to. And he died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's God's plan. All along, all the way back yonder in Genesis 3, it all started. Mr. Goday, he said that 1 Corinthians 15 is most ancient and official records that we possess. And then he said it like this. He said it's the earliest Christian doctrinal essay. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the linchpin, the foundation of Christianity. And I'll say that the bottom line, the linchpin, is the resurrection of Jesus. Many other people died on a cross, were crucified. Two fellows were crucified the same day the Savior was. But only one of them rose from the dead. If there was no resurrection, well, there would be no Christianity. The resurrection is where the linchpin is. It's what we're founded on. That's part of the gospel. And that he rose again, the third day, according to the scriptures. Mr. John Stott said it like this. He said, we're not to regard the cross as defeat and the resurrection as victory. He said, no, 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 no. The cross is where the victory was won. That's where Christ crushed the head of the serpent. That's where his blood was shed for our sin. He says the resurrection is where the victory was validated. So the the resurrection proclaims the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. So, all of Christianity is predicated on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you've got your Bible here, please, let me show you a few verses here in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, uh, if, if the resurrection could have been disproven, Christianity would be dead. Like, if they could have proven that Christ did not rise from the dead, it would have, in the first week, it would have been dead on arrival. Wouldn't have had any Christianity at all. And Paul addresses something. It's like an essay. It's another way to look at it. It's like a lawyer in front of the courtroom giving his argument. And Paul is laying out his argument And look at verse 12. Look at this. He says, If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Now watch this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, look at verse 14. He says our preaching is pointless. Look what he says. If Christ be not risen from the dead, then is our preaching vain? Vain means empty, useless, no good, no account. He said our preaching is useless, is pointless if he didn't rise from the dead. All this preaching that takes on, I call it all this ranting and raving about sin and about hell and about heaven, about uh, justification, about righteousness, about separation, about church attendance, about offering, all this ranting and raving about witnessing and living a holy life. All of it's useless if he didn't rise from the dead. Our preaching is pointless. Our faith is foolish. Verse 14, it says in the second half, it says, and your faith is also vain. Verse 17 says, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Our faith is foolish if he didn't rise from the dead. We're all just believing that and something that is no account. If he didn't rise from the dead. Verse uh, and our, our witness is wicked. Look at verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not, we're going around telling people that we have a resurrected Savior, but we don't have a resurrected Savior if there be no resurrection. Watch this, he says, our loved ones are lost forever. Look at verse 18. He says, then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If we have loved ones that have trusted in Christ to be their Savior, well, they're just in the dirt because if there is no resurrection, it's foolish. It's a waste of time. They're lost forever. Look at this. Life is without meaning, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now, let me uh <clears throat> my dad was my preacher. I grew up in a pastor's home. So uh, hearing this verse, that verse right there, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. Here's how I used to look at the verse. It's not correct, but this is how I used to look at it. Okay. If Christ did not rise from the dead, but in this life, I'm trying to act like he rose from the dead, but he didn't. I am a miserable person because I'm trying to live for Christ. I'm trying to live holy. I'm trying to live separated life. I'm trying to be sanctified. I'm trying to be a witness. I'm trying to do all these Christian things. And it's a miserable life if he didn't rise from the dead. Well, that's wrong. Now, I am now one of the old preachers. (laughs) I used to be one of the young preachers. And when I was a young preacher, I heard the old preachers say, you know, if there was really no heaven, if there was no hell, still, still the best life, the most satisfying life, the most rewarding life, the most joy-filled life, is still the Christian life. And I'm sitting there as a young person going, that's stupid. (laughs) It's because I was young and immature and stupid. The truth is, every one of us, every one of us in this room, we would like to have a neighbor that has Christian principles. We want them to be honest. We want them to do unto others as they would have people do unto them. We would like for them to be kind-hearted and benevolent and try to help somebody. We'd like for them to have honor and respect to authority. Every one of us in this room would love to have children that honor and respect their parents and authority. There's nobody here going, oh, my kid's a wild man and an idiot and he hates everybody and he's rebellious. (laughs) Nobody wants a kid like that, but we all have them these principles I just said to you are Christian principles honoring and respecting authority and your parents being benevolent and open handed and helping those who are weak those are Christian principles my married life with Christian principles is a much happier life than without Christian principles. Christian principles work. Now, some people, well, I tried it, but it didn't work. Well, you didn't try it long enough or with the honest heart because Christian principles work. So the most rewarding, the most joy-filled Happy life is the Christian life. So when I said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we're all men most miserable. Because it's a miserable life if you're trying to live for Christ, but there is no resurrection, there's no heaven. It's a miserable life. It's not a miserable life. So that's not what the verse means. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable, what he is saying that there is no purpose in life because we have no hope about life after life. We are of all men most miserable if we have no hope about life after life. If if it's just over, if life is just over, why am I here? A person that has no hope about eternity about what's going to happen and then after this life is over, they're going, why am I here? The only reason you're here is to get as many toys as you can get. Get as much as you can gather up for yourself and just have a big pile of stuff and say, I'm happy. What what would be the other purpose for living here? Of all men, most miserable... One of the commentators that was helping me with this passage, he was, he was saying, Paul, uh, you know, they said, How say some among you that there be no resurrection of the dead? Then he goes, Okay, if Christ be not risen. And then he goes through the litany of different things. He said that our, that our preaching is. Pointless. Our faith is foolish. Our witness is wicked. And he said, our loved ones are lost forever. We're miserable people. We have no purpose to be here. One of the commentators said, it's as if the apostle tired that he was just worn out by going through the list. And it was like he can't take it anymore. And so in verse 20, he says these words, but now is Christ risen from the dead. He just can't take it anymore. And I love it. That commentator got my attention there because that's how I feel about it. I'm going through the list saying, if he didn't rise from the dead, well, listen to this. Your faith is foolish. You have no hope of eternity. You have, and, and but wait a minute. He is alive. Somebody say amen. I love it. He's alive. Paul couldn't take it anymore. I love how that fellow pointed that out. So on. But, you know, there are those. i call them skeptics or deniers or God haters. That when they talk about the resurrection of Jesus, they want to spiritualize the resurrection. Here's what they say. He didn't physically rise from the dead. Nobody can do that. So it doesn't mean that. So what it is, evidently, he's spiritualizing it. He rose spiritually. No, no, he was born physically. He lived a physical life, had a physical ministry. He died physically. He was buried physically. (laughs) And he physically rose from the dead. Well, no, no, if he, if he, if he rose spiritually, what would be the point of Jesus saying? And on the third day, what would be the point of that? Because the first day he's still in there. Second day, still in there. Third day, still in there. Fourth day, still in there. If it was spiritual to go, must have been spiritual. Spiritual. Would be no point you wouldn't know if he ever rose from the dead or not it's not spiritual it's as a physical resurrection amen. bless his name see the only way to believe and understand that jesus rose from the dead physically is that you see his resurrection as a natural result of a supernatural god amen But see, our our society, our culture, humanity is filled with naturalistic thinking people. They just think natural. They can't see or believe or fathom supernatural, so they think naturalistic. So when you think of that, these natural thinking, they have a natural view. They have an explanation, though, for the resurrection. So here's the the explanation. Well, okay. I'll tell you what. He really didn't die on the cross. He like passed out. Or he kind of fainted or maybe went into like a coma. He didn't die. And then when they put him in that sepulcher thing, it was kind of cool and damp. And it revived him. That's insane. That's insane. That means that he shook off the effects of not sleeping for over 24 hours, shook off the effects of three kangaroo courts, shook off the effects of crown of thorns being jammed in his head, shook off the effects of being beat about the head and shoulders with with a rod, shook off the effects of the cat of nine tails, shook off the effects of hanging on a cross, being nailed there and hanging there for six hours, shook off the effects of someone jamming a spear in his side, shook off the effects of having his body prepared for burial, and they put over a hundred pounds, a hundred pounds of oil and myrrh on his body and wrapped him like a mummy, and they put him in the tomb. And then he shook off the effects of all that And he unwrapped himself of a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe. And he moved a 4,000-pound rock. And snuck out naked and nobody saw him. (laughs) That's insane. That's a bigger miracle than rising from the dead. And yet the naturalistic view thinking people, that would be their explanation. Here's another explanation they give. Well, I'll tell you what must have happened. Those disciples stole the body. They stole it. Well, if they would read history, they would find out the disciples didn't even believe he rose from the dead. The women went there early in the morning and the angels said, why seek ye the living among the dead? Don't you remember he said he would rise again? And the ladies go, ah, that's right, that's right. And they took off running and they found the disciples and they found them in the upper room and they say, hey, 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 we saw an angel and an angel said, he's alive, he's alive. Don't you remember what he said? And the disciples said, now why are you girls in here telling us these false tales? Why would you do that? They didn't believe the girls. The girls said, Don't you remember what he said? The angel reminded us. And the guys are going, why are you doing? Well, two of the guys couldn't take it. One was old, one was young. They left and they ran down to the tomb to see what happened. The young one got there first. He stuck his head in and he's going like this. He was John. Peter, the old one, got there second. He bumps John out of the way and he just goes in there. Now, I preached an entire sermon that's 45 to 55 minutes long, an entire sermon about Adon and Oidon that they saw. One means you saw like you saw the truck go by, a red one. But the other one saw is that you saw and you understand. It's not just a red truck. This is a Chevy, and this has this big engine in it, and you know all about it, and you go, whoa. I just see a red truck or a red car, but some people understand all about it. You know what I 'm talking about? I preach a whole sermon, but they, they believed and they understood. Well, if Saul if Paul and I mean I 'm sorry, if John and Peter did believe that he really rose from the dead, if they did, they didn't believe it good enough to convince the other disciples. Because as you read Luke 24, you find out that these two disciples were walking on the road of the Emmaus, and they're going, well, they're talking to Jesus. Jesus said, why are you all so sad? Well, the women went down there, and they said they saw an angel. And said, He's risen from the dead. But, oh, some of the fellows, they went down there too, and they said, yep, it's like the women said. He's not there. We just don't know where he is. Peter and John couldn't convince them. So these guys didn't steal the body. Amen. But naturalistic view thinking people, they want to say, well, that's what happened. They stole the body. No, these men, most of them died a martyr's death, saying that he died for our sins, he was buried and rose again. Amen? Amen. But they're not done. Here's another explanation they give natural. They're saying, well, I'll tell you what. Those disciples got up there and they're all crying. They're distraught. They're full of despair. Their life is over. And they're so despondent that someone said, hey, this will make you feel better. Smoke this. So they were smoking some kind of wacky weed. And all of them had the same hallucination. Jesus came in a room. He's alive. How goobery is that? That's total goober. If people are on drugs, they don't have the same hallucination. But naturalistic view of people, I'm telling you, people that are anti-God, they will come up with any excuse they can come up with. Let me give you one more. (laughs) It's a horrible mistake. Those women and them, their disciples, they went to the wrong tomb. That's insane. They got these Roman soldiers standing over here, and they're at the wrong time. The soldiers are going, hey, hey, Bubba, this is the one you're looking for. That's insane. But see, those that are naturalistic in their thinking cannot comprehend what a supernatural God can do. I say, you that are naturalistic In your thinking, you need to put aside your natural view of God and realize that when a supernatural God comes into view, things like creation can happen. Things like a worldwide flood can happen. Things like three Hebrew boys in a burning furnace can be in there and not die. Things like Jonah swallowing the well. Whoa! Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) Things like a virgin birth, things like a resurrection from the dead are a natural result of a supernatural God. Hallelujah. Praise His name. I love it. It says that He died according to... I mean, He died according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You know, the scriptures promised that one was going to come and die and not stay dead. The scripture promised that one was going to come and die and bruise the head of Satan and crush his head and uh, uh, deliver God's people. The scripture promised that. And Genesis 3 and Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Daniel chapter 9 says, he's going to come back to life. Praise his name. Here in our very scripture that we're in, Jesus, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, there are six instances that he's going to rise from the dead. It says, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that's, um, I'm on the wrong page. Not my first time to make a boo in the In the New Testament, Jesus said several times that he's going to rise from the dead. Okay, I want to just read them to you real quick. There's just a few. Matthew 12, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Matthew 20, and the third day he shall rise again. Luke 9, and be raised the third day. John 10, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up. John 2, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. Matthew 16, be killed and raised again the third day. Matthew 26, after I am risen again, so Jesus knew he was going to die and rise again. Praise his name one of the, uh, perhaps, at least, one of the most able defenders of the faith. He's excellent in his defense of the faith. His name is Josh McDowell. Brother Josh McDowell was not always that way. When he was in high school, he met some people that told him some bad news. The bad news is, you're a sinner, and you're going to go to hell but the good news is, Christ died for your sins. If you'll trust Christ, you can be forgiven. That made Josh McDowell angry. It infuriated him, and it became his, his testimony. He became his life's goal. He was going to go to college, and during these college years, he's going to prove Christianity is a farce, that it's a lie. So Josh McDowell says these words. He said, I didn't know that there was evidence a person could evaluate with their own mind. So then he goes, I could not refuse Christianity because I could not explain away one crucial event in history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mr. John Phillips says the resurrection is the best proved fact in history. He said there's more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is that Julius Caesar uh, um, conquered Britain. In the book of Acts, it says that he proved himself alive by many infallible proofs. Praise his name. The proof of Jesus' death was his burial. The proof of his resurrection is his appearance. (laughs) People saw him. Amen. There are 12 appearances easily, easily seen in the Bible. There's six of them right here in the Scriptures. Let me show them to you real quick. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 5a, it says he was seen of the 12. In 5b, it says uh, that he was seen of the apostles. And uh, then in... um, Verse 6, it says he was seen of 500 brethren at once. In verse 7a, James and the apostles. 7b, all the apostles. And and verse number 8, he was seen of the apostle Paul, born out of due time. Let me give you six real fast ones. And he was seen in the garden where the burial tomb is. Uh, He was seen in the upper room. He was seen on the road to Emmaus. He was seen by the Sea of Galilee. He was seen on the Galilean mountains. And he was seen on the Mount Olivet. Think about it. The followers of Jesus preached. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. They preached that in the very city that killed him in Jerusalem. One of the commentators I was reading, he said, think of the courage it would take to preach he's alive in the very city that killed him. In my head, I thought it really wouldn't take any courage at all. If you saw him, you wouldn't be going, I got to build up some courage. You were going, hey, I saw him. He's alive. It says he was seen over 500 brethren at once. (laughs) If you went to a courtroom and the lawyer said to the judge and to the jury, he said, now I have some eyewitnesses that are going to come in and they're going to give testimony that they literally, they physically saw and they tell. what what they're trying to prove. And the judge goes, well, how many witnesses do you have? Well, just a few over 500. Now, what honest, honest thinking person is going to say, well, I don't know if I can believe 500 people or not. (laughs) Honest thinking people would have to say they saw something... They all agree they saw him alive. (laughs) It's overwhelming that God-haters or God-deniers would say, well, I don't really know if we can trust 500 people or not. Because, you know, I wasn't there. It's as if the source of all reality is me. If I wasn't there, I don't know. I don't know if there really was a revolutionary war or not with England. I wasn't there. I really don't know if 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. I was not there. It might have been one person signing a bunch of names different ways. Who knows? (laughs) I wasn't there. I don't know that Abraham Lincoln really signed the Emancipation Proclamation. I do not know. I was not. That is insane. That's so foolish. You cannot believe any history at all if you won't take the eyewitness account of others. No, there's more eyewitnesses to the resurrection of the of Jesus Christ from the dead than there is the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Amen. Mercy. Okay, let's talk about it. If Jesus rose from the dead, we've got witnesses. We got infallible proofs here's what bothers people if jesus rose from the dead let me give you a chance to say amen out loud in church are you ready now just if you believe if you believe as far as you know in your soul in your heart you believe jesus rose from the dead say amen. amen here's the problem if you believe that jesus rose from the dead You're gonna have to believe what he said. Now, if you believe he rose from the dead, you go, Well, I don't give a rip what he said. (laughs) Well, you don't even believe you don't believe he really rose from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead, he is who he said he was. He is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the Savior. There's no access to God. There's no access to forgiveness except through Him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If He said it, you got to believe it if He rose from the dead. Now, if you want to sit here today and go, well, I don't really believe He rose from the dead. I can't prove it. Well, if that's how you want to hold your position, I'll just say to you, One day you'll find the consequences of your belief. You'll find out about that. You go, well, I guess I will. But us that know that he rose from the dead, we also believe this. We need to believe what he said. We need to believe and practice what he said. Someone that says he rose from the dead and they ignore all of this, I don't really believe they believe he rose from the... that he is who he said he was. Because if he's God, we better pay attention to what he has to say. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. <clears throat> so it's really... you know, I know what period of time we live in. Here's what people go. Well, I just don't know if I believe everything that this thing is this. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that you know there what if, what if evolution is true what 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 if people are born and then they 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 were they just don't know what gender they are i can't Believe that I just don't agree with everything the Bible says about, or like a real hell that's eternal fire. Is everybody hearing me? And so when you begin to argue with this book, you're arguing with someone who raised from the dead. <laughs> There's a fellow named John Bishop, he's from Arkansas. John Bishop had an aneurysm in his head. And he had severe brain damage, and uh, it it affected him terribly. He says that his wife is the one that taught him how to read. He didn't know how to read when he got better. He spoke like he was a three- or four-year-old. He didn't use all the verbs and stuff. He said, I'm not like you. I not think you right. And he spoke like that for years. But he got better, and he realized he was a preacher and so on, and he would come and give testimony. He would preach to us, and he would talk with that three- and four-year-old pentameter, that kind of speech. And anyway, it was real precious. And so then he got better where he would fly on a plane by himself. He'd go speak. And he was set by this lady, and she said, where are you going? He said, I go to California. Oh, or you live there? I not live there. What are you going to do? I preach her. I'm going to preach the Bible. She says, "Oh, are you one of those preachers that believe Jesus is the only way?" And she lit into him, gave a tirade. He said about five minutes long. She goes, and he said to her when she got done, "That okay? When you die and come back to life, you can have your own religion." amen. Jesus rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. as you sat here this morning, I will just say to you, I'm very thankful you're here, but if you do not know that you're forgiven of your sin, he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And what you need to do is receive that truth. What's called the gospel you need to receive it well how do I receive something I can't see it's called faith by faith you admit the bad news you're a sinner and you believe the good news he died for my sin he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures hallelujah if you don't know for sure you're forgiven you can know you can know but you have to exercise faith. If You would believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again. The Bible says, by which also you're saved. This is how you, we get saved. It's receiving the gospel. If you do not know that you're forgiven, I'm just telling you, you can know. You can know for sure you're forgiven. Would you let us help you? We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you give a speech or anything. But if you would let us pray with you, we can help you know for sure you're forgiven through these scriptures. We'd be happy to do that. We want to do that. That's that's really one of the reasons. It's not the only reason. One of the reasons we have church services is to give folks that don't know for sure an opportunity to know for sure. He said, Brother Dave, Brother Dave, I know. I already know for sure I'm forgiven. I go, hallelujah. Are you living like it? He's still risen from the dead. It should affect our life. I just say it'd be a good reason to come back tomorrow night. Because he's alive. Amen. Wow. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Can I ask you to bow your head with me? I'd like to pray with you, please. Dear God in heaven, I come to you again. I just want to say, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the Bible, that we know truth because of the Bible.